Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roaring Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Tonight, we are talking about basketball, not football. There you go. The first take of this podcast that you will never hear because I deleted it. Uh, we're recording this about an hour and a half, two hours after uh, Penn State went to Breslin Center and played an interesting game against Michigan State. Nittany Lions led for a while, some foul trouble, and just the general fact that Michigan State's very good at basketball let the Spartans get back into the game. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Then we're going to pull... We're going to head back to the Ohio State and Rutgers games, talk about Josh Reeves coming back from the academic suspension that he had, how he kind of changes the course of the season. Then we're going to talk about the rest of the year, about the Nittany Lions, which after tonight are 15-9 and and 5-6 and in Big Ten play. As you heard, because he was busting my chops a second ago, Chad Markowitz is here. Chad, how you doing? Whose idea was it to tape a podcast right after this game, by the way? Eric, I think? Hmm... What's why? Why? What's so bad about recording a podcast? Right? Oh, so yeah, yeah, a bad so move because we Earth. lost. We were always going to lose. Uh, oh my god, we lost to Michigan State. <laughs> Blow wow. up the program. So as you can tell, this was Eric's idea to do this podcast uh, about five hours ago, and Eric fortunately was able to make it. Eric, how you doing? Hey, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm alive. I. You know what? Sometimes I have that same approach, but otherwise, no. I don't wish I was either. Uh, so yeah, Penn State. 76-68 to Michigan State. Uh, as you can guess, if you were watching a minute of Penn State basketball this year, Tony Carr put up a bunch of shots and made a few of them. Uh, 28.7 assists, 6 rebounds from the Nittany Lions guard. Lamar Stevens, team's second leading scorer with 18 points, also had 4 rebounds. Other side of the coin, Miles Bridges, you might be surprised to learn, is pretty good at basketball. He had 23 and nine for the Spartans, while Cassius Winston had 15 with 10 assists. Uh, Eric, so I pretend for a moment that I was out to dinner, and I missed the entire first half of this game, because that is exactly what happened. Uh, What was going on? How was Penn State able to get out to an early 10 or so point lead, get six points, uh, up by six points the half, uh, all that stuff, and... No, we'll just talk yeah. about the first half for now and then get into the second half where things kind of went off the rails momentarily. Yeah, no, the first half was great, um, especially on defense. They uh, they came out really locked down. They were good with rotations, especially like Mike Watkins played some of his best ball screen defense that I've seen in a while. Um, and, and Michigan State was just out of sorts. I don't know what people want to attribute that to. That's This is exactly what they did um, on the road their last time out against Maryland over the weekend. Um, they were down 13 in College Park and ended up coming back and, and winning that game as well. Um, but in the first half, though, I mean, so so Tony Carr came out, and Tony Carr looked good, uh, especially in the first half. He looked like his confident self that we have seen over the last week or so, um, working his mid-range, taking good shots. I think he, he finished the first half with 14 points. Um so I guess he had 14 points in both halves, but obviously if you look at his line in the first half, it's much more efficient. He was five for eight, hit a couple threes. Um, but at the same time, though, like it felt like I, I still didn't really feel like their offense was that good in the first half. So they did have that 30 to 24 lead at the break, but um, felt like they kind of missed some opportunities, and uh, that kind of caught up to them in the second half. So the second half started, and um, second half was weird, you know, especially with how long it drawn on with the, um, I mean, Ward, Ward had that elbow there that took a review, and then there was a lot more fouls called in the second half than there were in the first half. Um, you know, Mike Watkins got in foul trouble. 
Lamar Stevens didn't bring his A game. He was in foul trouble for a little bit. And once Penn State lost those two guys, um, things kind of went south, as you would have expected it to, against the number five team that has, like, how many NBA players are on this team? Several. (laughs) Four. (laughs) Yeah. So... So I don't know. I, I don't know kind of like what the takeaways are here. I mean, it, it's just it's another close but not good enough. Um, you know, obviously it's a little bit more understandable when Michigan State goes on those runs. Um, really, I thought the difference in the game was Cassius Winston um, during their, their big run. So Penn State got up 41-29 early in the second half. Uh, and then Michigan State responded, went on a 12-0 run, and then kind of ran away with it even though Penn State because they had like a little bit of an answer there when they went on that 12-0 run but it was short-lived and Michigan State all of a sudden was then up 10 points um and when that happened I thought a lot of that was credit to uh, Cassius Winston he really was pushing the pace getting his teammates looked he finished finished with 10 assists um he was five for seven too so he, he had 15 points on seven shots and had 10 assists so that's that's peak efficiency right there um and him controlling the pace and, and getting his team up and up and down definitely kind of swung the tide uh, of the game. But the other thing is, though, Penn State's offense was definitely um, stagnant. They weren't they weren't running and cutting as much as they usually have. Um, well, I shouldn't even say usually because this has been a unfortunately it's been a, a regular occurrence. But I don't know. I, I think they were intimidated by Michigan State's length. Um, you know, Michigan State's the best shot blocking team in the country, I believe. Um, and, and, and you could kind of see that, especially with Lamar. I was really disappointed with how Lamar started the game. Um, he was very hesitant, started settling for long jumpers early and often. Um, and I'll have to say, I'm kind of curious, what do you guys think about his breakdown? I know he had a couple of jumpers in the in the second half, but I feel like of his seven makes, probably five of them were layups or drives. Would you, Chad, would you agree with that? Yeah, I thought he settled a lot. I mean, whenever he got to the rim, um, you know, we had Jaron Jackson was sitting for a lot of the game for Michigan State. He's the Big Ten's best shot blocker. Um, and I don't know, I, I didn't think Lamar was nearly as aggressive as, a, he's, as a, he should have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, he took a lot. He, you know, that's kind of been the Lamar settling. Yeah, the Lamar Stevens one dribble, take a step in from the three-point line, pull for a jump. And he's, like he's very capable at the yeah. shot, but when you have – you don't have Jackson in there and you have the opportunity to, you know, your team's in the bonus. You can get the line um, just by being aggressive. You know, I, I thought they settled a little bit too much for that, for, uh, for my liking at least. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, they definitely, I thought they definitely played a little scared too in the second half. Um, the ball movement wasn't crisp. It wasn't, it wasn't on, you know, on time or there was no rhythm to the offense either. And it usually ended up with uh car Stevens having to make a play at the end of the shot clock. Um, I don't know what that can be attributed to. It's certainly some coaching, certainly some um, something on the players too. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just just a classic Penn State game where they yeah. look really good in the first half, defend well, and then kind of the wheels just fall off after a certain point. With, with the yeah. difference I, from other Penn State games is Penn State usually doesn't walk into the Breslin Center and have a 12-point lead in the second half against Michigan State before the wheels come off. They usually right, in, a, in, a va- in yeah. the vacuum of just the 40-minute game, right, um, right, throwing out records and everything. They look really good in the first half. I mean, defensively, they out-rebounded they Michigan State in the first half. That's really hard to do at the Breslin Center especially. Um, but then it just you could just see the wheels falling off. And if, it was strange because, like Eric, Eric said, there was a, you know, definitely a point in that game where Michigan State was very frustrated 
uh, with the way things were going. And then it just seemed like all of a sudden out of a timeout or something, it just something flipped. Yeah. At one and, point they remembered their Michigan state there at home and they went right, to state basically. Right. Yeah. And yep. I, I do want to talk just for one moment. Like I, I need to mention this and that was the lineup that Penn state had in the game with like 13 or 14 minutes left, something like that. Where like, you know, Pat, can kind of get a little bit uh, cautious when guys are in foul trouble, right or wrong, debate that, whatever you want. But I, I I have to mention that I never thought I'd see the day where Penn State would roll out a lineup of Tony Carr, Shep Garner, Davis Zemgoulis, John Harar, and Nazir Bostic. But I, to the lack of my surprise, that went about as well as I thought it would go. Uh, I, I think the one thing that this game did kind of show or one thing that was evident was uh, they really are. And I don't know to what extent this starts to be a problem uh, against better teams. They really do rely a whole hell of a lot on Tony. Um, Both they rely on him and he wants to be the guy in those moments, I think. And you kind of saw it in, those moments where Lamar and Mike were out of the game, where the ball was in Tony's hands and it wasn't moving uh, too terribly much, and then you took the good with the bad. There were times he was getting to the rim pretty comfortably at times, and the downside was he just wasn't finishing. And Julian Moore, Mike Watkins, whomever, just wasn't there to get the rebound. I, 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 Eric, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because. Do you think, like, in a game like this, Penn State has to live or die with Tony Carr when Stevens and Watkins are in foul trouble? Uh, Shep takes four shots because he's not really getting open. Josh Reeves is struggling. And no one else really on the bench is contributing yeah, the to the point that they nothing. take the scoring load off? Yeah, there's, the bench wasn't going to be able to do crap in this game against this level of talent. And, and, and them, I think, did they score a point? Probably not. Uh, oh, wait, bench, no, Julian, uh, Julian has, Moore had, had yeah, Julian Moore I, scored I, for the first time since yeah, like January fifth. He had that put back dunk, um, mm-hmm. but but yeah, and I'm not. And, and this isn't really meant to like rail on the bench. I mean, we know the bench is limitations. We've talked about it all year, but again, at this when you go against the number five team with multiple NBA players on the road, you need your A games from all five of your starters, and they didn't. Penn State didn't get that. Um, you know, I'm actually just like looking at the play by play log. And just to just to kind of like remember like how they got in foul trouble, just because it kind of seemed like it happened out of nowhere. Well, it's because Mike Watkins picked up two fouls in the first ninety seconds of the second half, so that that didn't help matters. Um, but yeah, no, they do need to rely on Tony Carr when that's when that's what they have going on. Um, you know, you would like to see them run some more sets, some more off ball action for maybe Shep to kind of get him off of some screens, maybe. But other than that, what are you going to do with that lineup? Um, I, 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 I don't know. So it's not it's not surprising that it spectacularly kind of went downhill from there. Because um, really what happened was is once once the offense um, – and honestly, this could have happened in the first half too. Because I'm telling you, I think there was a lot of terrible possessions in the first half on offense as well. Um, but eventually they were just – you know, Michigan State would get the long rebound and go. And, and they would push the pace and Penn State wouldn't get back. I mean, how many times did Nairn or Winston – or maybe even I think Bridges might have even had one too, where they would just they would go the big who was already down the court would seal off the Penn State's last defender and they would just get a wide open layup that happened at least four or five times I feel like, 
um, which kind of really got Michigan State going. But yeah, I don't know. The the frustrating thing for me um, when they when they kind of revert to a lot of the ISOs that they do, it's just more of like if they're going to run ISOs, they they gotta have better spacing. I, I feel like there's so many times where um, you know Lamar or Tony will get the ball and they won't even be at the like the three point line. They'll be like in the mid range at the like especially Lamar. He'll be like in triple threat position about 15 feet from the hoop and then he just he's too busy sizing people up deciding what he wants to do and and nobody else is moving off the ball it's like that's way too easy to defend because obviously the help the help defender knows he's going to actually try to score once he goes into his move he's going to come over and help off of whoever he was guarding that was just a statue and um so that, that that happened i feel like at least five or six possessions not just with lamar also with Tony, because they, they try to get Tony coming off some um, curl screens or whatever to get the ball, like at the free throw line. I, I, I don't know. It just – whatever they were trying to do, it wasn't working. And credit Michigan State, too. They're um, highly athletic. Oh, yes, very to be 100% long. clear, like Michigan State's a very good basketball team, so we're – like there is a limit to how mad – I think a limit to how mad Penn State fans can be about this. But, yeah, like we're just talking all about Penn State because we're the Penn State podcast, not the Michigan State podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was just it was frustrating for me just because I really felt like Tony Carr was hitting his stride, um, and he I mean, he looked really good in the first half, and then the second half things kind of fell apart for the team, and he had to uh, carry that um, that load. I, I don't know how many shots he took in the second half, but it was probably like fifteen, <laughs> if I had to guess. How many? All right, so he had twenty-four. Yeah, it was sixteen because he had eight in the first half. Um, so that kind of there you go. There's your numbers for you. First half, Carr had 14 points on eight shots, and the second half he had 14 points on 16 shots. So, um, and yeah, who else did you want to shoot the ball? Uh, right, Dave, yeah. D- Davis or Julian? I mean, oh, what was that? Oh my God, there was that one time where they tr- where I think it was Reeves. Some Julian rolled, and he was open off the roll, and Reeves gave it to him, and that's fine. But Michigan State recovered. And he never passed the ball back out. He's, Julian he, he, still hasn't realized in five years that he's six foot ten. Yeah, like oh, that, that was like when they were like they had to like get something too. This is like within like the last five minutes. Um, so he has the ball on the block, and then I forget who was guarding him, but clearly he wasn't getting within eight feet closer to the rim or whatever. And he just put up that terrible hook. I don't know why he didn't just pass the ball out. Like I don't, I don't know. It just it just goes back to how they kind of unraveled there during that run. And, and honestly, Breslin's a very tough place to play. That place was rocking, especially when uh, Michigan State made their comeback. So, I don't know. I don't like that's what I'm saying. I feel like we're being a little too critical, just because we got to consider the venue and whatnot. But it, it is yeah. frustrating to yeah, see sure. them have a you know play really good for 25 minutes and then just kind of see it all unravel because of foul trouble. But it goes back to they don't have depth, um, and they they were going to need to get a games from everybody, and unfortunately they didn't get that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think there's. When you're looking at this game, and again, Shep takes four shots. Uh, Josh Reeves is three for 11. He's doing the other stuff that, uh, you know, to steal line from Chad makes him a future pro, like getting the rebounds, uh, had a couple assists, stealing the ball. Five steals. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's doing that stuff. Like, you know what? If Josh Reeves is going to get six points, he's going to help you in other ways, but he's also only getting six points. He's not hitting the shots that he's taking. Yeah, Probably he had his a, worst offensive game this year. Yep, yep. At least, it definitely his worst shooting game, for mm-hmm. sure. 
Um, you know, obviously the 0 for 5 from 3 sticks out. And he had a couple of really good looks in the first half, I thought, yep. that he that he's been making all this year. But he looked kind of more like his, his freshman self uh, tonight. Yeah. And then he had that one where he tried to throw that dunk down. Which I really didn't think. I mean, I I respect the uh, oh, I will. You know, we will the never, confidence. Yeah, we will never like disparage Josh Reeves for trying to dunk on somebody. But like, I, it know. wasn't on. It wasn't against Jackson, so I don't know why. Like he could have just laid it up. I don't think he would have got blocked. Um, so yeah, he didn't have the best shooting game, and like that's what I'm saying. So so Penn State has their five, their best five as their starters. But when Garner is willing to take a back seat and only take four shots, Reeves can't hit anything, and Watkins is saddled with foul trouble, and Stevens didn't even really play that well. That's why you end up with Carr having 24, 24. shots. Now, see, now there's sometimes, I mean, we can talk about it, like, if we want to move back to some of the other games that we want to review. I mean, there's definitely been times where Carr has gotten that tunnel vision and has four shots when I, we don't really understand why he's is forcing as many shots as he has. Um, I think tonight, though, I'm not going to hammer him for having 24 shots. I think that's just, that was their best you chance, honestly. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, he couldn't get it done, which, you know, sorry, Tony Carr can't beat the number one, number five team on the road by himself. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it happens. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, but I continue through, through, I didn't realize that Tony took half as many shots as Michigan State as a team. Like, that's kind of amazing. And it's a test, it's a testament to something we were talking about before the game. Uh, and Chad, you can maybe talk about this a little bit. In the second half, like, you know, we've talked about, you know, Penn State starts unraveling, like Tony has to take all the shots, the offense, blah, 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 blah. In the second half, Michigan State just, like, started shooting fireballs out of their hands and making everything they took and getting to the free throw line and all that. And even if Penn State played near-perfect basketball, that's a really good formula to lose to Michigan State on the road. Uh, like, what... We, we, Eric kind of touched on it, but like, what happened in the second half with Penn State's defense that allowed Michigan State to shoot something in the seventy percent range, seventy to eighty percent range from the field? I don't know if it was so much anything that Penn State did wrong. It's just Michigan State was selling for a lot of a lot of bad shots in the first half. Uh, Miles Bridges was kind of jacking uh, some mid range and three point looks off of you know off triple threat moves. Um, but then they really started moving the ball a lot in the second half. Like Eric said before, Cassius Winston and uh, Tum Tum Nairn got to the rim um, and, and uh, you know, off transition opportunities and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, I, they just, I don't know what happened, but it's like the, the second half against Maryland they had the other day. Um, they just kind of woke up and executed their game plan, and, and it's deadly because they had the talent that, that can just take a team out like that and put up a 52-point half like they did tonight. So, um uh, again, I, I mean, Penn State did play really well in the first half defensively, I thought, not taking anything away from that, but there was only so much they could do for so long, and, uh, you know, yeah, no, those teams always just, they have a they have a great offensive game plan always, and, and they finally showed up in the second yeah. half. Yeah, no, I, I think this was definitely a game where Penn State wanted to slow it down more, and like I said, I really do think the tempo in the second half really favored Michigan State, and they, they're the ones that forced the tempo. Um, also, they stopped turning the ball over as much. I mean, they, they right. were pretty careless in the first half um you know part of that was you know reeves being reeves but they they threw some pretty yeah they had a lot, of unforced, had a lot yeah. of unforced errors there yeah so you know once they once they cleaned that up and, and and settled and got better looks off uh you know quicker and better looks 
Winston had uh, six assists in the second half. It looks like that's kind of that was the difference. Yeah. Oh well, it sucks. Um, but yeah, but so if we want to talk about it, like obviously to beat a ranked team on the road, sometimes you need to do some crazy things like Penn State did against Ohio State when they oh, shot when transition. they shot eleven. Damn. When they shot, when they shot eleven of fourteen. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take that step back. Let's talk about uh. Penn State Time going, machine. Going, uh, yes, that's uh, came right from our official Roar Lions Roar podcast soundboard. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, Penn State last week thought it would be fun to go into Columbus, into Value City Arena, and uh, just start hoisting up threes and making all of them against Ohio State. Got a little interesting at the end. But the Nittany Lions, 82-79, in that one, uh, came back on two days rest, home against Rutgers, which I think all of us in some form or another joked uh, the most Penn State thing would be to go on the road and play well and beat Ohio State and then lose to Rutgers at home. And they kicked the hell out of Rutgers. So it, it, it has been a pretty good week, all things considered, for Penn State basketball. Eric, let's, uh, yeah, let's start with the Ohio State game really quickly. Uh, 82-79, Nittany Lions. Tony Carr, of course, hits uh, the massive shot to help Penn State come out on top. Banks in a 40-footer. Uh, was it really as simple as Penn State won 11 from 14 from three, and that's why they won the game? Well, I mean, that's that's definitely a huge that's a huge advantage when you can shoot that well from three for sure. Um, but you know, honestly, it was just it was just a really well played game, um, especially. It was Carr's best game of his career. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He was in complete control uh, of Penn State's offense, spread the ball around, and but also shot ten of fourteen, which is incredibly efi- efficient for him. Two turnovers. Um, yeah, it was. It was a great performance. Um, and until KBD kind of like went off there at the end, um, they had they did a good job defending him. He was also in foul trouble. That helped. Um, but yeah, no, Penn State, Penn State earned that win. And obviously, you know, the ending was nuts. And everyone's going to say, you know, 40-foot bank shot kind of, that was, you know, kind of insinuates as kind of a lucky win. But, you know, Penn State earned that win. I mean, they had a 13-point second-half lead. And, of course, you can say, oh, well, they almost choked again. Um, that's true. But I do think a lot of that tipped your cap to the best player in the Big Ten this year for – <laughs> just going for, off. for doing the best player in the Big Ten things, basically. Yeah, it, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was ridiculous. But um, but yeah, no, that that's the blueprint of you know how you need what how well you need to play on the road. I th- I thought they got some favorable calls, um, that allowed them to play their style. Uh, Reeves obviously coming back uh, from his academic leave of absence or whatever we want to call that. Yeah, um, getting driven to the arena. Yeah, that that's a great, that's a pretty good story. How I got dro- driven to the arena because I know I've made that trip from State College to Columbus. It's at least five hours, um, but he made it. I mean, I don't know about you. How, how would you like to like be in a car for five hours after not playing basketball for like two and a half weeks or whatever, and, and then, then immediately yeah. immediately getting to the arena, suiting up and playing. You know, college basketball game. That's I, I couldn't even imagine against like, a ranked team. Uh, yeah, in their building. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine like what Josh Reeves went through, and then obviously his his 
surprised because they didn't tell the rest of his teammates that he was cleared and he was coming. Um, you know, unfortunately, nobody in the program captured this moment on video, which would have gone viral. I, I, I just, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you see that crap all the time when people get awarded scholarships and stuff, especially when this was planned. Like, it would have been great to see, but unfortunately, all we can hear off is um, media reports that were there covering the pregame. Uh, when Reese stepped out on the court, apparently everybody went nuts. And I mean, I guess I, I guess I understand that, like, you know, they don't want to glorify everyone being happy that someone wasn't in trouble academically anymore. Like, I guess I get that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, true, I'm with but... you, Eric. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm I'm all in favor of cool locker room things happening. Well, I think yeah. the only reason why I'm so critical about it is because you know before that game. <laughs> um, it was a very rough week for Penn State basketball. We say it was a good week last week, but the week before, when they lost to Minnesota and Northwestern, and it looked like their season was already over. Um, you know, this is it's cheap, easy cheap content pop, yeah. that everyone would relate to because it's about the player, it's not about the coach. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, let's so, uh, let's go back to talking about the basketball game. By the um, way, hold on, wait. I want to say one more th- one more thing. I made that drive uh, from Columbus or from State College of Columbus with Bill. Oh yeah, and uh, he ended up throwing up that night. So yeah, it's not an easy drive. Well, I mean, the drive is easy, but you know when it, the, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, the but the good news is that uh, I no longer like uh, the U.S. men's national team, so that's never going to happen again because they're very bad and evil. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this game, like. The thing that was so cool about it, Chad, other than, you know, the fact that Penn State went into Columbus and beat out an 11th, what, you know, whatever they were, 14th ranked Ohio State or whatever it was. 13. Was 13, yeah. Was that we saw what this Penn State team can do. I mean, they're not going to shoot 11 for 14 uh, from three every night, no matter how cool that would be, but they were still able Tony Carr did exactly what he had to do. Uh, Lamar Stevens was able to pitch in and contribute in a few different ways. I mean, he had 15 points, also had six rebounds, four for 10 shooting, got to the free throw line. Shep Garner was able to knock down threes when he got those opportunities. Mike Watkins, I mean, he didn't play. I mean, he had seven points and five rebounds and 20. Yeah, he didn't play that well, actually. He didn't play that well, but again... Penn, if Penn State can win basketball games when Mike Watkins isn't playing that well, that's great for them. Davis Zemgoulis gave them really, really good minutes in that game and hit a three-pointer. And MVP. And yeah. The only thing that is better than Josh Reeves coming back from an academic suspension is Davis Zemgoulis hitting a three-pointer. Then Josh coming off the bench, doing all the Josh things that uh, we know and love from him, uh, getting the Minutes from uh, Julian Moore and Nazir Bostic where they're not you know single-handedly winning them the game. Yeah. But, Julian, we need prop. Julian deserves props for his defense against Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, and best defense of his career, without yeah. a doubt. And we see all this stuff, Chad, and I think, like, this is why Penn State fans are suddenly going, "Hey, you know what? Maybe if we're able to get to twenty-two wins on the season, maybe if we're able to, uh, well, twenty-one wins or twenty ones, whatever it would be now, because you know they have seven games left." Maybe they're able to do this. Maybe a few things are able to break that way. Maybe if they're able to bring their A game when Ohio State comes to town and when Michigan comes to town. Maybe the tourney dreams aren't... I mean, they're dead. Like, for now, I think they're Penn dwindling. State... They are dwindling. They are probably close to dead, barring winning the Big Ten tournament. But they're the kind of things that make you go, hey, you know what? Like, 
this team can play a little bit, and maybe the season won't end when the you know when the clock hits zero on their final Big Ten tournament game. Yeah, top twenty-five row wins are nice. Uh, you're gonna need. Uh, they have one more chance really to get one against Purdue. That's gonna be difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was just a, it was just a fun ass game. Like the way Tony Carr played. Um, you know, the, the talents there, obviously, um, from the win that game, the way Mike Watkins played, which was, you know, he played 28 minutes and had seven points and seven shots. Like that's kind of wild. And how Davis played well. And, you know, you're going to need some luck to win these games and they got some luck. Um, but I thought the way, you know, just the way, the way they attacked Ohio state all night, they were, they were not afraid of anything. They, they played with confidence, um, you know, kind of a, a, absolute uh opposite of how they played in the second half tonight against michigan state but um you know the potential's there the talent's there we've seen it uh they're not going to shoot that well every night but um you know the potential's there for them to make a run it's just a matter of can they pull it out of themselves every every game i just want to go back to davis's like one minute stretch there yeah where he he came into the best basketball player on earth yeah he came in and he he was playing well He he had an 11 trillion going yeah, that's what I'm saying. He had an 11 trillion in the box score. He played 11 minutes and didn't do a darn thing other than D up Tate a couple of possessions. And then all of a sudden, he just like took over that minute there where he like grabbed a rebound, scored um, a three, and then the next possession he comes down, gets the ball, pump fakes, gets a layup. And the next time he comes down, he like assists a Shep shot, and, and obviously a lot. All this was like set up by Carr at first, but like he did really well. Like that's that's what Penn State needs to be able to do when Carr makes his moves. Like Ohio State obviously would double Carr, Carr would swing at the Davis, Davis would make a play, and that's what they need. They need guys who can play off of the attention that Carr is going to get and can make stuff happened so um yeah and did i ever think did i ever think davis and Goulas would be you know beating a ranked team on the road i i don't know that was wild yeah especially like he hadn't been playing like i I don't know where it came from yeah i he well it it was a it was jamari wheeler hitting the freshman wall and chambers going well we need something and just throwing davis in there and it's worked well it, it worked in uh, the Ohio State and uh, the Rutgers games. I mean, the uh, I don't want to say the jury's out on the Michigan State game, but he wasn't exactly as good as he was against Ohio State in that one. But that's I mean, I think we I think we know what the common denominator is there. Uh, two wins with Davis starting, one with him, one loss with him not starting. Damn, pretty simple solution here, I think. So uh, I'm gonna get in touch with uh, some people I know from my days of the Alumni Association, and I'll try and get Pat's personal email for you, Chad, because I think he needs to hear this. Um, yeah, we're friends on Snapchat, so oh I'll, I'll yeah, play yeah. It that I way. To, I forgot there was a span of like a week where Pat was promoting Snapchat for yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that, that's an interesting point, Eric, because like that's but one, one thing that I think some people might have expected Shep to do, uh, and Josh has been able to do at points this season, is be the guy who, when defenses are keying in on Tony, he can get the ball to you, and you could do something there. And like you said, yeah, Davis was able to do that uh, against Ohio State. Uh, as I'm looking through here, you know, Josh had a couple of assists against uh, against Rutgers. And when that attention's going on to Tony, I'm, I'd like to think 
that those are the scenarios where he doesn't think he has to shoot the ball a million times. I mean, against Ohio State, he took 14 shots. Against Rutgers, he took 13 shots. He didn't feel like he had to do anything. He could trust the teammates, that sort. All, you know, all that stuff. And hopefully that's a thing going forward. We see uh, a little bit more of as Josh gets uh, back into the swing of things as Davis uh, you know, Jesus' destiny of being Penn State's version of Dario Saric, all that stuff. Uh, y'all want to talk about the Rutgers game really quickly? or? Uh, yeah, that was fun, uh, the dunk fest at the end. I mean, the first half was yeah. it was an ugly game. I think, honestly, the, the best highlight about the Rutgers game is the fact that, one, like we said, uh, them coming back after a big emotional win and actually taking care of misses is something that's always been a challenge for this program, so that was good. And two, it was the Thon game, and there was a lot of people there. And as ugly as that game was for 30 minutes, the uh, the, dunk, the dunk contest that they had at the end of the game was yeah. a lot of fun when they kind of put Rutgers out of their misery. Um, Mike, so Mike was, thought it Mike would was be incredible. fun to grab every rebound yeah. uh, in the general vicinity of him, which is really cool. And then, yeah, that was wild. Yeah, I mean, he just imposed himself on Rutgers. And then the thing that was so cool from this game, you know, from the other perspective, was Corey Sanders, 0 for 7, 0 points, 3 turnovers. I mean, it, we saw Penn State key in on someone and stop them from doing much of anything, which was kind of awesome. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Don't want to give him too much credit, but... No, yeah. it's, it, it's okay. I'm going to give him too much credit because... <laughs> I, we've been over this. Being from New Jersey, I really hate Rutgers. So I I'm thought offensively they were they were pretty good, all things considered. I mean, they didn't, they scored point eight eight points per possession, but um, I thought they looked fine. And you know, ball movement wise and spacing wise, they were um, the guy told like enough times and and everything. And I, you know, just that, that was like a game plan just to like you know get over the hump. They didn't need to go crazy offensively, but they did enough. I Yo, Pause nice. real quick. I, I got some numbers for y'all. Uh-oh. Oh, right. snap. Oh, snap. There's 351 Division One teams right now. Oh, yes. Rutgers, three-point shooting is 30.5% as a team. They are 336th in the country. <sighs> Their two-point shooting is even worse at 42.5%, which is good enough for 345th in the country. Mm-hmm. And their free-throw shooting is 64.5%, which is good enough for 338th in the country. So it's blowing my mind here. So as much as I want to give props to Penn State, this is a historically terrible Rutgers offense. Offensive like, team, yes. R- oh, Rutgers, <laughs> R- their defense is 17. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 not giving, so, I'm not giving Penn State much credit yeah. for holding them to 43 points. That's not, a, that's not a huge deal. It is It is still funny to me that they are 17th in Kempom uh, in defense, and then their offense is so bad that it just doesn't matter. Yeah, like, polar opposites. Yeah, it's great. Uh, any anything else that you want to talk about from the Rutgers game before we talk about the rest of the season? Mm, not really. It's a pretty straightforward game. Yeah, uh, they took care of business. Yeah, yeah. it was like a non-con game. <laughs> if only. Uh, yeah. So rest of the season, Penn State sitting at fifteen and nine on the year, five and six in conference play. Uh, looking through Ken Palm right now, they're projected uh, to win four of the remaining seven games, home against Iowa, home against Maryland, at Illinois, home against Michigan, and then lose home to Ohio State, at Purdue, and at Nebraska. The, the thing with that, Chad, is that as I'm looking at it, 
if the Penn State team that showed up against Ohio State shows up, and I don't mean, you know, shooting 11 for 14 from three, I mean just playing that well, I have a hard time thinking that basically outside of the Purdue game, all of these games aren't to some extent winnable. Um, yeah, there's, they're winnable games. Um, history will show that they won't win all of them. Uh, especially that Nebraska game, that last game of the year is going to be tough because Nebraska is just like a juggernaut at home. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's still, there's still a chance. Uh, it's not over yet, but they're going to need some luck because, uh, I don't expect them to win every home game they have left. Um, and I don't expect them to necessarily win every road game either because they have outside of the Purdue game either because Illinois, Nebraska, you know, not great teams, Illinois especially, but it's not any, it's never winning, uh, easy winning on the Big Ten. Oh, just keep it simple. Yeah, this team can this team can beat yeah. anybody and they can lose anybody. Like that's that's, that's what this season has shown. Go. And as frustrating as the fact that we're sitting here fifteen and nine and five and six, it's it's still. You know they have this home stretch here to kind of save things, but it's still trending towards uh, just you just have to call it a lost opportunity between mm-hmm. how terrible the Big Ten is, you know, and with how healthy they've been. Like you know, all, none of their five starters have had any serious injuries. Um, this it's it's still shaping up as this should have been the year that they should have. They should have performed better than this. I mean, they just simply have lost too many games. Um, the Wisconsin game, obviously, we, we lamented that one. That one was particularly brutal for me just because I knew Wisconsin was terrible. I knew Wisconsin would be terrible before the season, and we still blew it. Like, you know, because, like, that two-game stretch there with Iowa and Wisconsin, like, once we won that Iowa road game, I was like, here we go, 2-0 start would be huge and then that game was terrible obviously Ryder we I mean that was awful too and then in this Big Ten season like you know I've been saying how I thought this team would be able to every loss was avoidable exactly I thought this loss I thought this team could be able to string four or five games together going on one of their longer winning streaks of (laughs) probably of all time or at least of this century um and it just it hasn't happened between Reeves' academic issues and blowing those uh, that Minnesota game. Let's look at Minnesota's schedule right now. Ever since that team blew up with Reggie Lynch's allegations and the injury to Coffee and all the other adversity that they went through, they've tanked. In their last seven games or last eight games, they have lost. Let's see here. Six of them by double digits. One by eight points. One by four points. And then they beat Penn State on the road. Yeah. but so, Minnesota having a 21-point overtime period is something that I don't think I am ever going to get over. Like, that's insane. Yeah. They just... Ugh. They shot 15... How... how so they shot ten of seventeen from three for yeah. that game. It was, it was just bad, bad defense all around. Um, and then obviously the Northwestern game, having the lead, being in control, and then in those last ten minutes, I ugh. they didn't have what was it? They didn't have a single field goal in the last ten minutes or something. Yeah, they didn't have a basket. Lamar scored their last field goal with ten and a half minutes to play, and then they hit a couple free throws down the stretch to that was that was all they got. It was they kind of so they kind of Six imploded points there. In the last ten minutes. Yeah, I mean that's just you, like that's How? just unfathomable to you me. Gotta try to be that 
bad in a, at the end of a game. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't. It, it, I want to see how the season finishes. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be some debate on which direction the program should head in. Um, you know, I just really thought that they would be in a better position right now. There's no reason for them not to be like 18 and six right now, and that's what's frustrating. Yeah. And, and and you know, and obviously in this Big Ten, like I said, how saying how terrible it was going to be, it was like somebody has to emerge and win games in this league. And you know who it's going to be? It's going to be Nebraska. They're already freaking. What's their record right now? Eight, eight and four. They are eight and four. Penn State whooped them and then let them call, but crawl back into the game until Carr bailed them out in that game. We didn't really, we didn't go back that far because I don't know when the last time we've had a podcast was, but a while ago, uh, yeah. But like, and I knew that like going into that game, I think I wrote it in my preview. I was like, "Yo, look at Nebraska's schedule. It's very manageable, and look what they're doing. They're not, they're not wasting their opportunity. You know, Tim Miles is obviously on the hot seat down there as well." Um, and they're taking care of business. Now, what's funny, though, is they still might not make the tournament just because their schedule is that weak. They don't have any quality wins, um, you know, and, and that's just part of it's about the league. You know, I, and I kind of want to, like, touch on that a little bit, too, just because a lot of people have been criticizing Chambers and his schedule. Um, you know, here's Tim Miles' schedule. And they have two home-and-homes. They have one annual home-and-home with Creighton, obviously, great game. Um, in-state rival, if you will. And then um, they, they they landed a home-and-home home with Kansas. And coincidentally enough, Kansas is the only team that's gone into Nebraska this season and won, and they only won by one point when they did. But, you know, those are two really good home-and-home home schedules. Obviously, you can't really criticize that. They had a Gavit games. Um, they, they got blown out by a terrible St. John's team. But this is, I mean, this is months ago. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking more strictly about the schedule. They obviously had a big 10 ACC challenge game against Boston college. And then they went to, I forget where their exempt tournament was. I think it was the one in Orlando that used to be the old spice classic. I forget what it's called now. Um, but because they lost their first game in that tournament to UCF, they ended up getting Marist who is an RPI dog. Um, so here's a team that actually like scheduled pretty decently in the non-con, and it's not going to matter at all because the Big Ten's that bad. Uh, and part of that's because of the unbalanced scheduling that hopefully at some point kind of gets more even. Uh, frankly, I'm cool with having a 26-game Big Ten schedule and get rid of the non-con, but that's, that'll never happen. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, it's just – I don't know. I, it's just Here they are. They're 17-8, and 8-4, eight, eight and, and they literally cannot win any quality games until the Big Ten tournament. So it's like, congrats, Nebraska. You had a, a great season, I guess, but you're not going to go anywhere. I don't know. I, that, that's just where I was going with that. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to pull up, you know, bracketology and see if Nebraska was going to win. No, they're not. They're, they're not oh, yeah. in the tournament. They're not last four buys, not last four in, not first four out, not next four out. Like, I, I don't see Nebraska on there, but I also could be – you know, wrong. So I imagine what it would take for us to get back in the bubble. Uh, oh, we got to win seven in a row. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. Versus, yeah. I mean, it, is it win seven in a row or is it win six of the last seven and maybe win two, two games in the big 10 tournament, something like, well, I'd imagine that if they, if they're able to get to, uh, da, 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 11 and seven, that's pr- 
maybe a probably not a double buy, but definitely at least a single buy. So two games, like what would it what would it be? I don't know, man. It, it would if they were in six or seven. Um, I think they would be in the conversation, but I still think they'd be on the outside looking in. And then it's just too. Even though we're getting close to the end here, it's still too early to project just because we don't know what the seeding is going to be. Um, you're right. Like if they get a single buy, you know, is there going to even be any teams that are worth good in the single buy? Like I maybe Nebraska, but then like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. This is we we, we talked about this kind of earlier this season about how critical the the double buy would be for them because no matter what, whoever they play in that first round, it's not the first round for of the tournament, but the first round for them, the first day, first game that they play would be a quality game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously the NCAA hopes are pretty minuscule right now. Honestly, we really shouldn't be talking about it as much as, <laughs> as we are. Hey, hey, there, is, because there is one perfectly, is there talk about? perfectly okay. Uh, NIT that, yeah. I, I mean, I'd be stoked with Penn state going to the, at this point I want Penn state's, Again, I don't want Penn State season to end when the clock hits zero on their last Big Ten tournament game. Like, if they make it to the NIT, I will be perfectly content with that. CBI. Nope, 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 nope. Let's go to Siena again. Come on. No, I actually, uh, well, that would actually be convenient to me since I'm in Elmira now. But I I actually lamented to my father on Penn State going to the CBI earlier tonight while we were consuming dinner, and I was telling him about how this program is cursed. So I'd really not. I'd really prefer it if we didn't have to go to the CBI again, uh, and especially not run into Siena fans because they are the meanest sports fans that I've ever encountered in my life. <laughs> they, they were jerks, man. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah. I can't believe you went to that game. Yeah, you're nut. So, Did I ever, have I shared on this podcast where I was for that game? So real quick, let me at least try to explain myself because, and it's not going to work, and again, no one listens to the entire thing, so who cares? Uh, so I was going to go to the game. I was kind of up in the air. I was friends with uh, our pal Darnell Brady. Uh, shout out to Spread. Uh, go Jags, all that. Uh, and he was the president of uh, what will always in my heart be known as Nittany Nation. And Spread said, hey, want to go to the game? And me, being a senior in college who had a job lined up, said, yeah, sure. So we plan on going and then the Penn State uh, Hoops Club said yeah we're going to get a bus so I I got a free ride up there I got the I think it was a free ticket and they sold beer at the stadium who wouldn't want to go to that and watch Tim Frazier and DJ Newbill uh, not beat Sienna and John Johnson missing a dunk Oh, God. Yeah. Do you remember that? I miss- no, so, no, 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 no. We're not actually talking about the actual game. Thank you. <laughs> We're talking about circumstances surrounding no, these, the game. These, these are memories, man. These are these are. I I wiped that clean from my. These memory. are I don't know what you're folk talking about. tales of the, well, the reason no, why oh, I, don't know wrong. I tried about to wipe that game from my memory after, but listen, I was in Vegas for this game, all right? So it was, and I was in Vegas. So obviously, it's in March, and we went out. Um, we did the cheap thing where we went out like Sunday or whatever so we could get the weekday rates for wherever we stayed. We stayed at the win, I believe. Um, and we went out. More like the loss. <laughs> and uh, so we, we got to obviously watch the Sunday of the NCAA tournament at Vegas, which was awesome. Highly recommend to everybody listening here. Do it once in your lifetime. 
go out and bet on some March Madness games and watch the mayhem with money on the line because it's wild. But so a couple days later, you know, still looking for some sports gambling because, you know, that's what you do when you're in Vegas uh, and you can just go and place bets with absolutely no issues. And lo and behold, my favorite college basketball team was playing in the CBI that night. So who'd you bet on? So, uh, <laughs> well, I, I can't really, honestly. I have no uh, idea. Eric, what this... Please tell me you took the under. Please, whatever it was. I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember the line. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> really, I don't. Obviously, though, I bet on Penn State. <laughs> and uh, so, but the the thing is, is like this is like a Tuesday, and I'm in Vegas. So with the time differential, it's like four o'clock on a Tuesday. So the sports book's like dead. There's not anything going on. And I'm just like sitting at the bar by myself. Uh, I think I know how this story's going to end. But I'm like asking them to put on the Penn State Siena CBI game. And I'm just like in this bar. All it alone. was on TV. That's right. It was in the street. It was Remember? on like CBS Sports Center or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I <sighs> yeah. But, like I, was, I went with my girlfriend and her family at the time. And they were like all out playing slots or gambling, doing their own thing. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go watch the Penn State game. And I'm just... Just remember, like, watching John Johnson miss that dunk and then, like, looking around, like, what the hell am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, was, I'm, uh, pulling up, I'm, I'm pulling up Ken Palm. Uh, do, do either of you remember the final score of that game? I that couldn't tell you. It, Sienna 54, Penn State 52. Good Yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, it DJ was so Newville, bad. DJ Nuba had 17. Uh, Brandon Taylor had 8. And then... Tied for third place with five points was Tim Frazier, Geno Thorpe, Donovan Jack, and Graham Woodward. Missy uh, Graham. Yeah, how's how's he doing right now? I'll pull up. I'll pull up Drake. Go ahead. Uh, let's re- reading through some more fun things. Penn State went eleven for forty on twos. Uh, Sienna went five for thirteen on threes. Penn State actually made more threes. Uh, looks like Sienna out rebounded them. Uh, Penn State won the turnover battle. Um, yeah. Do, do, do you know, like, every once in a while, have, have it all, y'all ever laid in bed and just thought of your past self and childhood and regrets that you have? Because I'm starting to think of, I, I might regret going to this game. No one on Penn <laughs> State had an offensive rating higher than 96. <sighs> yeah. yeah. God damn it. Ugh. Well, I'm, I'm, literally, I'm literally looking through the play-by-play log of this game to find this missed John Johnson <laughs> dunk. John Johnson had uh, three points on uh, one for eight shooting, 0 for six on twos. His offensive rating was 59. This is amazing podcasting right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Graham Woodward, by the way, uh, shooting 38% from three, uh, 100 offensive rating, uh, more turnovers and assists. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, Graham. Let's up see. to six feet, a buck 82. <laughs> Woken up. You, you know what John Johnson's one make was? A, a three. three one minute into the game. <laughs> and then he went 0 for 8. <laughs> he had, uh, God. I was about to say I was blown away because I was reading it and it says he has eight rebounds, but that was Brandon Taylor. Uh, let's see. God damn it. I'm uh, – God. <laughs> yeah, steal, miss, dunk. <laughs> there it is. 
Three minutes into this game and in the second half, it was twenty nine to twenty five. Honestly, what, I think I, I think I turned it off after that. And for whatever reason, that that missed dunk just like summed up that game for me. The the craziest thing was that like earlier in that season, Penn State went to Pittsburgh. They played Pitt. Uh, this was before Pitt. Um, you know, they decided that. Uh, they wanted to have the funniest athletic department in college basketball, and they hired Kevin Stallings. You, you know, just all that stuff. And I remember sitting in Jamie Dixon's press conference after and saying, listen, when you got a good pair of guards, you got a chance. And Penn State, that team has a really good pair of guards. And this was when there was all the hype around, you know, Pat saying uh, Tim and DJ was the best backcourt in the country. And it might have been a little hyperbolic. They were still really good. They go into that pit game. I think Tim plays really, really well. I think DJ has an all right game. <laughs> Return to wreck happens, whatever. It looks like, you know, this Penn State team might not be bad. <laughs> they get in the conference play and lose their first six games. <laughs> oh, God. I did not sign up for retrospective of that team. I'm sorry. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, I, we're spending too much time on this. Yeah. Team. Uh, God damn it. So. <laughs> I mean, do you guys want to talk about anything else with this team, like expectations? What? Yeah, I was about to say, I, th- I well, think that's a good topic. So, I, okay. a good topic. So, uh, so we mercifully get off of this goddamn to- topic. Let's talk about expectations and goal setting and all the other things that your manager talks to you about at the start of the fiscal year. Uh, when I look at this Penn State team, we're, you know, we're a month away from a really tough conversation having to happen, which is, is Pat Chambers the guy to lead this team? And I think that if you can promise me, if this team is able to get to, you know, they're at 15 right now, if they're able to get to 19 wins, so Iowa, Illinois, uh, we'll give them Maryland, and then one of Ohio State, Michigan, and Nebraska, something like that, able to win a game in the Big Ten tournament, whatever, show those positive signs, and uh, no one quite knows what the roster is going to look like next year, but, you know, uh, Mike Watkins is a 22-year-old sophomore. Tony Carr, NBADraft.net, has him as a first-rounder right now. All this weird stuff. But if you can promise me that this team is going to show that sign of progress, and most, if not everyone who can come back, will come back with the recruiting class they're getting, getting two pretty good guards in that class... I have a hard time saying I think Penn State needs to move on from Pat Chambers. But if the wheels kind of come off a little bit, if uh, you know they beat Highland, Illinois, and then they just kind of go off the rails the rest of the way and they flame out of the Big Ten tournament, I have a hard time justifying keeping Pat around and you know you hit the reset button at that point. So I don't know what's going to happen in a few weeks, but... Uh, Eric, we'll start with you. What are your just general thoughts of what could be a pretty interesting end of the year meeting between Pat Chambers and Sandy Barber? Yeah, it's. I think it's super complicated. You know, obviously the the casual fan or the um, the haters, if you will, will just simply say, you know, Chambers seven years hasn't done crap. Get him out of here, um, and that's fine because. I do think there's there's definitely criticism for this season. Um, you know, if you look at his tenure, really this is the only team that I think should have had NCAA tournament expectations. And then you can obviously argue, well, should he have built up a better roster quicker, whatever. Um, but you're right. Like the success of this whole experiment in this regime to p- 
depends on the talent that they've recruited coming back next year. Um, and that, that was kind of always like a concern of how long were some of these kids going to stay here. Like you said, Tony Carr has always been on the NBA radar ever since he's been in AAU. Um, and he's already getting a lot of hype, which honestly, if people watched a lot of the film of him over the last month, he really has not looked like a first-rounder at all. But, um, you know, people see the top 50 recruit and the 20 points per game, and, oh, this guy's this guy's going to be a pro. But, you know, he's going to be down the road, but I don't know. We'll see where, where his NBA, you know, prospects go in the offseason. But you're right. Like, Watkins is, is much older. He has a, a much smaller window as far as, you know, a professional playing career. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be in the NBA. I mean, he can make some good money overseas if he gets a good opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, when you, you can only play for so long or whatever. I mean, I guess basketball, it's not football, obviously, but... But you know what I'm saying? Like when you're yeah, 23, 24, you know, eventually at some point, you know, playing for free isn't too appealing anymore. Um, and then, so he's real, real and quick. Then, I mean, the last two two weeks or so. I mean, I've Sam Vicini at uh, the Athletic is the, the the most notable name. I've seen some, if not draft hype, some NBA hype. The stuff that Chad's been talking about for Josh. So. Yeah, no, Josh yeah. is getting some looks too. And then obviously, I mean, uh, you know, you don't want to speculate too much because we don't really know the specifics of what Josh's academic troubles were. But, you know, I'm sure he didn't have a great time sitting out for two weeks. So, um, yeah, it's so if, the, if you can tell me and you can promise me, Watkins, Carr, Stevens, and Reeves are all coming back next year along with Dredd and Bolton. And, you know, you got Jamari and, and Nazir, and hopefully uh, John Hara can make some strides. And Kasaka. You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before, j- just so we can get this on the record for everyone who is listening at the 5740 mark of this one, uh, <laughs> Chad has decided to push all of his chips in on uh, the uh, the next Andre Kirilenko. Uh, what's his name? Daniil Kostakin or something like that? Daniel Kasatkin. Kasatkin. Uh, I'm all in. Yeah. 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 One tweet love from the shot, 20... love the ball handling. Love one, the one tweet he's from 2015 said he's the best Russian point guard. Starting point guard next year for everybody leaves. Uh, so, so what we're going to do, so we will have a talk with Chad after the podcast about this. But yeah, Eric, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no. So the rotation, if they return everybody's, would be honestly a rotation that I think could honestly contend for the Big Ten championship. As as ridiculous as okay. that sounds. Okay, come on, come on, hello, come on, come on. Okay, okay. Well, Purdue's, Purdue's losing like their whole team. Michigan, Michigan State, State is losing Jackson and Bridges, and I don't know who their coach is going to be next year. Yeah, they, they got their own issues, but anyway, I, I don't think it's ridiculous. I really don't. Um, and but but at the same time, what's ridiculous might be thinking that they're all coming back. So, right. and, and that's what's going to be really difficult for Sandy Barber to judge um, because you look real stupid waiting for these players to make their decisions. They're not going to make them until May. Like, that's the way the NBA draft works or whatever. You can put your name in as early as, like, April, and you can go through the process, and then you can withdraw it, like, back in May. Um, so, so Sandy's going to kind of guess whether these guys are going to stay or go when she makes her decision on whether to stick with Chambers or not, because, um, you know, if you're going to make a move, you definitely want to make a move sooner than later. So you get a head out, get out ahead of the, uh, coaching carousel, if you will. So you have more candidates, more opportunities, um, 
or, or just more candidates out there to to entertain hopefully rather than you know hiring somebody in june where you end up with a complete unproven no name coach who only coached for two years and actually he's done a fairly decent job here at least with recruiting um but you know what i'm saying so I don't know. I, I really don't know what Sandy Barber's going to do. I do think if they make the NIT, she's going to keep Chambers um, here. I really don't think there's, there's a question about that. But then it's like, well, what happens when they make the NIT, people leave, and then it kind of feels like a ceiling almost because they're well, not going to – I would I would assume that Sandy would be uh, clued in on discussions of who's leaving and who's not and make a determination kind of based off that, you know, if – it's one thing if they make the NIT and they lose everybody. It's another thing if they don't make the NIT even, and but everybody comes back then. You know, but th- she's there's, still, there's a difference. She's still. I mean, what if Tony Carr goes in to the draft? Because honestly, right, I, I, that late everyone everyone like needs that. to expect that Tony Carr is going to put his name in for the draft. Like that's mm-hmm. absolutely going to happen. He might withdraw though. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go to the NBA. Um, but say he does put his name in the draft and he goes through whatever workouts or whatever that process is. I don't really follow the NBA draft that much. But what if he gets that feedback that, hey, you could sneak into the first round or, oh, hey, you would have this kind of opportunity. What if he feels like that's like he doesn't know what feedback he's going to get is basically what I'm saying is like things are going to change. Is it is it wrong to say that Tony is the most expendable of the big four coming back next year? That's completely is, wrong. With You think? Yeah. We have point guards. We don't have replacement for a replacement for Reeves, a replacement for Stevens, a replacement for Watkins. We we just talked about this podcast how he's like the whole offense. <laughs> I, All right, I, I think just Chad is more saying in a perfect world, correct? Well, when you look at who is coming in next year. And, you know, Penn State is going to have Jamari Wheeler, and I think we all kind of assume that he's going to take something of a step forward, even if, you know, it's not him suddenly becoming a dead-eye shooter or anything like that. Like, I get the argument for that perspective, but also there's exactly one guy on this team who is viewed as a potential first-round NBA draft pick and an Omar Stevens, Mike Wagons, or Josh Reeves, so... No, honestly, it's a good it's a good argument, and it's, and it's close. But for me, Carr is, you know, you got to score points to win. Carr is the point generator um, out of the four for him and his teammates. So I think he would be the most difficult... You know, if Jamari had more of a, a scoring touch, I would maybe be more willing to hear that that argument. But they're all—I mean, all four of them are are huge. And if they lose all any of the four, they don't have anyone to replace them. Um, as much as I like the two kids coming in for next year and Bolton and Dread, you Can't know, too much right away. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're not going to be as good as these four. So, so yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, It'll be it'll be a letdown for me um, if if they if they make the NIT this year flame out early. That's I mean that's the other thing is if they make the NIT, how many games do they need to win for you to be satisfied with going to the NIT? Because you can say that you're content with the NIT, but they go and they lose that first game. It's just like the CBI. It just it feels like what the hell. NIT is kind of purgatory for this team because it really you know if yeah, they don't, it if they don't it may, it's an easy decision if they miss the tournament. You can you let go you let him go if you make the tournament you keep him but the NIT is just kind of that gray area it's like okay well tough decision got to make here who's coming back who's not who was on the market who's not what jobs are open uh, yeah I you know it'd be it's, nice if they just it just made it easy and either made the tournament or didn't make any postseason 
Yeah. No, if, if, if they win nine Big Ten games or more, Chambers is definitely staying. But should he? And if he does stay, how confident are we that things are going to progress next year and get better? Because it's on the like players said, at that point. It's, it's on. on it really is. It really is. You gotta. The, hopefully, these players give them one more year. If not, I mean, I mean, I, I, I we've, don't want to. We've been saying the whole time. It, this is this is like the the philosophy of the Chambers era. It's all about the players, right? It's who's yeah. coming back. Uh, I you know the coach is only relevant to a certain point. You know, we. I th- I don't think people feel like. Uh, I you know I think our blog gets a reputation for being just very pro Chambers, but I think it's more of just the philosophy of of having better players than than we usually have and better players than other teams in the Big Ten. So yeah, uh, it, it really was it was nice. All players. Yeah, yeah it, it was nice to go in tonight and be like, yo, we might not get run off the floor. And guess what? We, we didn't did. get run off the floor. Yeah. So which mean, is, yeah, you can say 20-point swing or yeah. whatever, but... That's a weird way to like gauge improvement, but also have you ever watched Penn State basketball before? Like, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and people are, you know, well, what if you make a coach, these guys might still stay. Um, you know, there's like, isn't there, isn't the NCAA considering like making a new rule where if a coach leaves, they a can freely can transfer, transfer because yeah. there's that demand for it. Yeah. Like, still have to sit on a year, but they can transfer to any school. Yeah. I mean, you certainly don't want to paint everybody under the same philosophy, but the fact that they're pushing for that is because there's public pressure for that rule to be enacted mm-hmm. because kids want to play for their, the coach that they want to play for. So to be clear, uh, a good rule. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I'm just, th- this is more for the people who think that, um, that these guys are going to be loyal to the university. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what, um, I don't know what they think this is, but are they attached to the BJC experience? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> time out, time out, time out. Hold on. Imagine for one second, like Tony Carr, there's all this speculation, all this hype, like, Woj is tweeting that Tony Carr is expected to go to the NBA. Shams is tweeting Tony Carr is expected to go to the NBA. And then he holds a press conference and just says, like, well, I uh, I, I would just miss the BJC too much. I'm not leaving. Would At that point, I think we'd have to agree that Tony deserved to be kicked off of the Penn State basketball team, correct? <laughs> I, I agree, yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how long? How long have we been going? Are we over an hour? Too long. Oh I'm yeah. Oh, oh we are way over an hour. Right. We're we're at one oh six right now. Can we yeah, go right. more, let's go three more minutes. Two more minutes. Okay. Um. So let's talk about the state of the union. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh. Okay. What's union? Who's union? Uh. Uh. You know what? I have a joke that I would make if we weren't on a podcast right now. Nobody's uh, listening. Just. Do <laughs> uh, I need some Super Bowl predictions. <laughs> um what let's see i mean i have a hundred bucks worth of meat on riding on this one so i'm going with the patriots a hundred bucks worth of meat yeah my uncle is a works for a butcher so oh okay what is it like you're paying for the meat and he would get it like i'm, I'm fascinated by this if the patriots win i get a hundred bucks worth of meat and if so. they lose you have to pay him a hundred bucks cash oh, okay. I, don't, I don't have meat to, to pay with so oh you all right Go Pats! I hear Tom Nick Brady, Foles. The goat. I hear Nick Foles is pretty good. I, I don't know <laughs> if he can. Uh... Oh, and give him all the credit in the world. He tore up a really good Vikings team. I mean, the Vikings are a team that's like well disciplined. They're well coached. 
good scheme, all that. He outplayed uh, Matt Ryan in the game before that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, kudos. Honestly, God, kudos to Nick Foles. I am happy he is getting this. I'm happy he's going to be able to get a chance to play for a Super Bowl. And I'm sure the Philadelphia Eagles cannot, cannot, cannot wait in the event that he has a big game to flip him for like a first-round draft pick from the Browns or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I'll... I'm rooting for Nick Foles. I, I feel like Nick Foles is Penn State basketball. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you're wrong. Okay. I'm so, hoping off. See you so guys. did you only ask about the Super Bowl because you wanted to make that analogy, Eric? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll take the Eagles 31 to 24, whatever. Who, who what? cares? I, I don't know. If Nick Foles is the Penn State basketball, you got to pick them to lose. <laughs> well, if, if Nick Foles is Penn State basketball, then – uh, well, would this, if Nick Foles is Penn State basketball, would this be the game where, oh no, because I suppose last game would have been the game where, uh, you know, they knock off the ranked team and this week would be, uh, lose to Rutgers. So yeah, uh, I'll, 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 I will still say the Eagles 31, 24, uh, our friend, Dr. Pizza is in jail for two and a half weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anarchy in Philadelphia, there's going to be no... There will... The Tom Brodu tweet about no laws in Philadelphia will happen if the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Um, I am I am very excited to see the, uh, just Philly Twitter react to the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Also, you know what? Probably more excited to see him react to them losing the Super Bowl, too. Because either way, it's going to be great. Yeah, because so. you have $100 worth of meat riding on the ladder. Well, no, I'm just, just seeing like all our favorite Philly Twitter follows yeah. tweet. Uh, you know, their, their best stuff comes out of misery. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, all right. Either so, way, yeah, I, I think it's time to end it because we. Yeah, I gotta take a pee. So let's. End it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, follow us on social media. Subscribe. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Keep reading the site. Buy the shirts. All that. You have heard this rant a million times, and you are probably not. Rate us on it. iTunes. Five. Rate stars. us on iTunes. Five stars. All that. Yeah. Uh, okay. For Chad Mark Wilkes, Eric Gibson. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all. <laughs>